the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Too faithful, in the late uh, 13th century, in the early 14th century, there was a monk by the name of William of Taco. Um, that's T-O-C-C-O, um, not T-A-C-O, William of Taco. Um, for, it's a place in, in Italy. And this monk was a Dominican, and he was entrusted by his Dominican order with this task of writing a biography of St. Thomas Aquinas, who had died recently in the odor of sanctity. So William of Tonko writes this, this biography, this fascinating biography of St. Thomas Aquinas, and one of the things he relates about St. Thomas is how he had an amazing memory, uh, and an incredible memory such that it was uh, not only photographic, but, but he even remembered the very words of the books that he read. Here is what Brother William says about St. Thomas Aquinas. A clear indication of his admirable memory may be found not only in this habit of knowledge, for he stored truths up in his mind as though they had been inscribed in a book, but also in a certain extraordinary commentary on the four Gospels that he compiled from the writings of the saints at the request of Pope Urban of Blessed Memory. As he worked on this commentary, it is believed that he had committed to memory the greatest part of the books that he had studied in various monasteries to such an extent that he seemed to hold before his eyes all that he had read in the manuscripts. So St. Thomas Aquinas, he produced this commentary on the four Gospels. And all it is is simply taking the writings of the fathers in various holy writers and, and putting them next to the verses that, that he wants to comment on. And in this book is called The Golden Chain, Catena Aria, because it's like St. Thomas is taking little golden chains or comments of the fathers and putting them together next to the verses that uh, he wants to comment on. You can still get this book in, in English today. And what I would like to do is provide for you in this sermon some of the comments of the fathers that St. Thomas gathered in which he recited from memory in regards to this very interesting personage that we have in today's gospel. The Roman soldier, the centurion, who is an example for us and the virtue that we should practice. So as you see in the gospel, our Lord has just finished his most famous sermon, his sermon on the mount. And he comes down the mountain. And what does he find at the foot of the mountain but a leper, someone who's not going to go up to the mountain and expose himself to the crowds. And the leper asks for the healing, which he receives. And then our Lord proceeds and goes into the town of Capernaum, where he meets the centurion. Now, the leper say the commentators, is, is a Jew, and he shows his belief um, in our Lord by, by asking to be healed by him. He, he shows that he believes, first of all, that our Lord can heal him. Secondly, that he's not going to be put off by his terrible disease, that, that our Lord's not going to run away when he makes this request. And thirdly, he shows his faith by explicitly asking for this cure. Um, Lord, if thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. Now, the Lord actually touches this diseased man. You know, leprosy is a horribly disfiguring disease, but he touches this diseased man and immediately cures him on the spot. <clears throat> the centurion, on the other hand, is a Gentile, and he manifests an even greater faith 
and even greater virtue than the leper. It wasn't that the leper did anything wrong. It was just that the situation in which the centurion found himself demanded more virtue than the situation of the leper. First of all, we see in the centurion the practice of a very great charity because he's going out of his way to ask our Lord to do something good for his servant. Um, He's not able to bring the servant in in the presence of our Lord because the the man is a cripple, so he can't transport him. Um, But he he doesn't let that that dissuade him to, to take some efforts on his behalf. He himself goes and appears before our Lord. There is an author, one of these authors that St. Thomas quotes. He says, Notice the goodness of the centurion, who for the health of his servant was in so great haste and anxiety, as though by his death he should suffer loss, not of money, but of his well-being. For he reckoned no difference between the servant and the master. Their place in this world may be different, but their nature is one. It's striking this, that this centurion, who is a Roman, and the Romans had the reputation of not treating their servants or their slaves very well, yet this man has a very great love for his servant, um, to the degree that he's wanting to, to ask for his healing of our Lord. And, it's, and it seems like um, the very words that he uses to describe his affliction indicate that he has this great affection for his servant. There was this archbishop called Rabanus Maros in the ninth century, who St. Saint Thomas quotes saying the following, <clears throat> All these things the centurion recounts with grief, that the servant is sick, that it is with paralysis, that he is grievously afflicted by it, the more to show the sorrow of his own heart and to move the Lord to have mercy. So, This is the indication that the centurion has this great affection for his servants. Something very extraordinary. He's a man of great charity. Even the way that the centurion goes about speaking to our Lord is is very touching. Uh, It shows that he is a man of virtue and delicacy. It's not like the leper. The leper just comes out and explicitly asks for his own cure. But the the centurion is is much more delicate. All he does is inform our Lord of the sickness of his servant. He doesn't even ask that um, the the servant be cured. You might remember in uh, John chapter 11, you have the story of the raising of Lazarus. And our Lord is is far away from Bethany, where where Lazarus is, is very sick. And the the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, they they send a message to our Lord. And all that they say in the message is, He whom thou lovest is sick. They're not asking for anything, they're just informing him. And the centurion is is doing the exact same thing here. Um, He says, My servant is sick with the palsy, and he's grievously afflicted. Notice his wisdom, says one of these authors. And that he did not say, heal him here on this spot. For he knew that Jesus was mighty to do, wise to understand, and merciful to listen. Therefore he did but speak of the sickness, leaving it to the Lord by his merciful power to heal. 
Our Lord seems already to be very impressed with this man, very impressed with the centurion, how he's carrying himself, how he's showing this uh, compassion for the servant, how he is speaking to our Lord, the respect that he's showing to our Lord. We notice that our Lord is impressed by the way our Lord himself responds. He offers two things. First of all, to do what the centurion did not even ask, namely to heal the servant. He says he's going to heal the servant. And secondly, to go all the way to the house of the centurion. Um, this is, is a, an incredible uh, sign on the part of our Lord of his uh, anxiousness to, to fulfill the desires of this worthy man, the centurion. St. John Chrysostom, whose feast day is this week, he says, Jesus here does what he never did. He always follows the wish of the one asking him. But here he goes before it and not only promises to heal him, but to go to his house. This he does that we may learn the worthiness of the centurion. And when our Lord declares that, that he's ready to go to the house of the centurion, it only provides to the man uh, an occasion to show forth even more how virtuous he is. It's, it's an occasion for the centurion to manifest his humility and also his faith, an, an incredible faith, a, a mind-blowing faith that, that he has. So when, when our Lord says, I'll, I'll go to your house and I'll perform the cure at your house, you know what, what the centurion says. He says, Lord, I am not worthy that you come under my roof. I have so much respect for you that, that I would be embarrassed for someone of, of, of your great dignity to enter under my own roof. You know, the, the, the major problem that we have in today's world is a lack of respect for God. People have lost a sense of the rights of God. Um, it's, all, it's all the rights of men today. And, and this is precisely what, what the centurion is, is manifesting in, in this episode, that, that he has very great respect for our Lord. By declaring himself unworthy, says one of these authors, he showed himself worthy, not indeed into whose house, but into whose heart Christ, the word of God, should enter. So he says, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. But I know what kind of a man you are. Let me compare my authority, the authority that I exercise, to your authority. I am a man who am a centurion. That means that he had uh, under him a hundred soldiers. He was in charge of a hundred men. He could tell a hundred men what to do. So I'm in charge of a hundred men. And the way it works with me over them is that I tell them what to do and they go do it. My word, my command is as good as having things done because they obey me. And you're like that as well. Only that I don't, you don't have under you 100 soldiers, but you have under you all of nature. You have the power by your word to command all of reality. That's more or less what the centurion is saying. You know how the creation of the world is described in the book of Genesis. God says... Let there be light, and light was made. Let there be fishes in, in the ocean, and, and the fishes 
were me. It's just by a word of God that God's will is accomplished. This is how divine power works. God only has to want things to happen for them to happen. With us, we we not only have to want them, but we also have to do them. But for God, wanting and doing are one and the same thing. And the centurion is is professing his belief that, that this is the way it works with our Lord. Lord, all you have to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. St. Augustine says, The thoughtfulness of the centurion appears herein, that he saw the divinity hidden beneath the covering of his body. This profession of faith by the centurion, and we, we may wonder how the centurion knew. He certainly had never seen this happen. And when, when it was a question of, of the leper, you know, our Lord actually touches him. And there, there are many people, um, there are many fake healers out there who, who say some sort of incantation over somebody and they, they impose hands upon them. And you know how the charismatics, people get slain in the spirit and, and things and they say that they're healed from some infirmity. Um, this is often how, how people who are fakes in, the, in, their, in their miracle working operate. They say some special words and they, and they perform some ceremony over the person. But for someone to just speak a word and at a distance he's able to, to heal someone else, this is something that the centurion certainly never saw or, or anyone else had ever seen. But Somehow he believes that our Lord is able to do this. As a result, our Lord marvels at the faith of the centurion. Very mysteriously, our Lord in his human nature wonders. He is astonished at the work of God in the soul of the centurion, at at, at God who is himself giving this faith to this centurion. St. Augustine says that, that our Lord wonders at his faith to show us what we should wonder at. Another author writes as follows, another author quoted by St. Thomas Aquinas. Observe how great and at what it is that God, the only begotten, marvels. Gold, riches, principalities are in his sight as the shadow or the flower that fades. In the sight of God, none of these things are wonderful as though it were great or precious, but faith only. This he wonders at and pays honor to. This he esteems acceptable to himself. So my dear faithful, we have today this really beautiful gospel story presenting to us this captivating figure of of a Roman soldier who expresses a greater faith than even the Jews of, of that day did and earns a very great praise from the part of our Lord. And the church presents him to us. We may say this is the Sunday of the centurion. He presents him to us as an example. We must want to move the heart of God um, with the way that that we act, with the way that we pray. And to do that, we we must act as the centurion did. Um, First of all, we have to, to treat our Lord as God. And We do that by precisely expressing our belief that he has all power. Do we we truly believe when when we pray that, that God hears our prayers, 
that he is powerful to do all things and that he wants to do all things, that he is a loving father who, who is concerned about the things that we're concerned about. The centurion certainly had this belief. He believed that, that our Lord would care, that, that, if, that if he loved his servant, who was so far below him, then, then our Lord, who is God, would also love this servant and would want to minister to him. We must show this respect for God, this respect for his divinity, and we must show this faith in his paternity, his fatherly love for us. And this is one of the reasons why, why we have this Mass, um, this, the, this liturgical expression that the Church gives us assists us to have the right dispositions towards God. It teaches us, it informs us how we are to pray to God. We are constantly expressing in the Mass our belief that God is God, um, that, that He is transcendent, that He is supreme. Uh, we, we bow down before Him. <clears throat> we, um, we, we become centurions in the Mass when we, when we attend Mass. Um, you know that <clears throat> the Church even has the priests and, and you as well, recite the very words of the centurion at the moment of communion where the, where the priest shows the host. And, and we all say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Say only the word, and my soul shall be healed. Uh, we are looking for the healing of our soul at the Mass, above all. And as I say, we're constantly showing to God the respect that is owed to a supreme being um, by our prayers, by our silence, um, by our acts of reverence throughout the Mass. So, my dear faithful, today is this Sunday of the Centurion. Uh, let us imitate his acts of charity, his humility, and above all, his faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.